and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Good morning again. You know, there's quite a statement here. I don't want us to get caught up with the idea that that we're building barns and bigger barns and trying to lay up a bunch of stuff for the future. What I want to pay attention to is the, the statement here where the Bible says that God said, Thou fool. You've done these things. Now, the term fool is a harsh word. From the time I was a little bitty guy, my parents, my mother in particular, my grandmother, used to tell me never to call anybody a fool. Did anybody else have that upbringing? Anybody? Okay. Um, we were. I was constantly reminded of that. <clears throat> but... Uh, Basically, in looking through the New Testament and the Old Testament, it's really a a term that is used over and over again in a number of different ways. So the first one, the text that really comes to mind where we probably have this prohibition is Matthew chapter 5, verse 22. Now, this is the text that says not to call someone a fool because it's dangerous to call them that. This text says, I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother, this is Jesus talking, without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Now that's where we get the prohibition. If you call someone a fool, you're in danger of going to hell. That's where we get the idea. Now Jesus in this context is referring to an escalating argument that's going on between two individuals, a controversy. That's what he's talking about. He's referring to a personal conflict between parties and taking that matter before judges, somebody who can resolve it. In other words, these two people, the people he's talking to here, two people are having a controversy and one of them is calling the other one a name. Starts out by, by saying um, he, he's angry with his brother. And it, it goes beyond that. Not only is he angry with his brother, he's going to take it before some judges and get, a, get some sort of a, of a uh, judgment against his brother. He's angry without a reason. So he's in the wrong, basically. He's in the wrong for, for getting angry with his brother. And then he's taking it, of course before some to get a fair judgment. And then uh, it's just a matter of losing his temper. But then he calls him Raka. He uses that term Raka. Uh, he's talking, he's, he's calling this person empty-headed. So to start it off with, I'm angry and I don't have a reason to be. Now then, I'm calling you empty-headed. 
And beyond that, now he's taking it to the council, somebody who can make that decision, and he's going to call him a fool. Now that, that word fool means uh, evil intentions. Actually, he's calling him a rebel of some sort. So here, here's an escalation of irritation with your brother. Angry without a cause. Husband and wife, father, children, mother, whatever it may be. You're angry, just friends. You're angry for no reason. And that anger causes you to call them empty-headed or, or a dunderhead or whatever term is used to, to mean that they're mindless, that they don't have a mind of their own. And finally, going to call them a fool, said, oh, you're a rebel, you're evil. That's why we're having this conversation. He said, you're in danger of hellfire. Now, hellfire at this point was... Uh, they would, they would understand it to mean that Valley of Hinnom that was constantly burning, trash dump outside the city of Jerusalem, that was called the Valley of Hinnom, and they just kept the fires going all the time. And So it was their dump, and they took stuff out and tossed it in and, and disposed of it that way. And sometimes they disposed of bodies that way. So he's saying you're, you're in danger of hellfire, maybe getting a judgment, and instead of being buried somewhere decent, they're going to throw you in that pit. Well, the idea that we have is that this word fool is a harsh, harsh word. Actually, if you study the word from the, different, from the view of the different languages that it translates, you'll find that it's a utilitarian word, which means that it's used to translate a whole lot of different words, the word fool is. And it's used a lot of times in the Old Testament and used many times in the New Testament. God uses it. Jesus uses it. The apostles use it, use that word. But again, it's an English word that is utilized to translate different words. Okay. Well, it was used to translate this fellow that this fellow that uh, decided he'd build bigger barns. Well, he was empty-headed. That's what that word meant there. Dunderheaded, thick-headed. He didn't have sense enough to know that this stuff is not going to last, that your prosperity is not going to take you into places you want to go when you die. So that's what he's referring to there. But it, it can translate words in the Old Testament, for instance, which means evil. The word means evil sometimes in the Old Testament. It's, it's translated fool. So Psalms 107, verse 17 says, fools, because of their transgression. So he's actually defining the word for us. Fools, because of their transgressions and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. They're fools because they're evil. They transgress. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. An evil person won't listen to good sense, won't listen to instruction. It can mean just being empty. Empty-headed, dunder-headed, thick-headed, not having, a, not having a thought that you could match with another thought. Well, that, that's, that's how the word is used in Psalms chapter 14, verse 1. That's the Hebrew word here that is translated fool. Again, it's, it's a different word, but still translated by the word fool. Psalms 14, verse 1, and Psalms 53, verse 1 says, The fool is said in his heart, there is no God. Now, a person is empty-headed and thick-headed to think that there is no God. 
And sometimes it just means that in particular, and you can see that in the text. Proverbs 10 verse 14 says, Wise men lay up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. Empty-headed people say things they shouldn't be saying, right? And they despise instruction. Matthew 7 verse 26 says, Everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does them not, I will liken unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. You can see how a person wouldn't have much sense to build his house on the sand. Wouldn't have much knowledge. Wouldn't be very smart to do something like that. Luke 24 verse 25, Jesus talking to the apostles said, O fools, slow of heart and to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You're, you're slow-witted is what he's talking about there. But in the preponderance of times, now here's the point. The majority of times this word is translated fool, the word translated for fool, Old and New Testament, has to do with self-confidence or overconfidence, pride. You just feel like you know more than anybody else knows. You're smarter than everybody else around you. You've got more experience than anybody else. You've lived longer than anyone else. You know what other people don't know. You're confident. You don't need anybody telling you anything. Now that's, that's how the, the term is used most in the Old Testament. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. In our own experiences, we can probably find some foolish thing that we did in the past, something we just didn't, couldn't even give a reason why we did it, but we did it. And it's done, something we did because we were overconfident. We just thought more of our ability than we really had. We thought we could do something we couldn't do. And we should have known that we couldn't do it before we started it. But we just went ahead anyway. That's what the Bible calls a person being foolish or being a fool. Sometimes we just lose our temper. Now, I'm just going to give you some examples of what we do that are so foolish and that we look back and say, why, why, why on earth did I do that? Why did I do that? Proverbs 14, 16 says, A wise man fears and departs from evil, but the fool rages and is confident. Why did I lose my temper? Why did, I can think back. I'll tell you what, I can think back on times and it never leaves me. And I believe you're probably the same way. Things you did or said, lost your temper, and you, you regret doing it, but there's no way you can undo it. There's no way you can undo it. It happened, and people will always remember you for that, and you will always remember what you did, and you can't undo it. You can get forgiveness for it from God, but, but you did the damage. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 9 says, Be not hasty in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Why did I lose my temper over that silly little thing? Maybe with the children, maybe with your wife, maybe with your husband, maybe with a friend, maybe with a stranger, maybe with the clerk at the store. You lost your temper. You said things, you just... You think back and think, why on earth did I ever say anything like that? Why did I lose control of myself? 
might have happened on the road. We sometimes speak inadvisedly or unadvisedly while not thinking of the consequences. I'm going to say something just like that. I don't even think about it. I'm empty-headed. More than that, I'm overconfident. I just think I can say whatever I want to say without consequences. Proverbs 15.2 says, The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours out foolishness. Doesn't it? Again, it's something you say, something you regret saying, something that hurts someone, something that you know makes you look foolish in their sight. But it's something you did and you, you just, it happened. A fool's mouth is destruction. His lips are the snare of his soul. Proverbs chapter 18, 7. Proverbs ten eighteen. He that hides hatred with lying lips and he that utters a slander is a fool. Don't say something about someone that you shouldn't be saying. We get into an argument with a friend or an enemy and we say hateful things to them. Say things about them. Reach judgments about them. And tell them what we think. And we walk away from that and we think, why did I, why did I say that? That was cruel. That was unneeded. That was, that was not something I should have said. I should have said something encouraging. I shouldn't have been whimpering and whining and complaining and, and pouring out my grief on somebody else. I shouldn't have done that. A fool's lips enter into contention, Proverbs 18.6. His mouth calls for strokes. And then, maybe it's just a foolish act. Something we did. Unthinking. We just did something. Acted out. Something that uh, we, we've... Have you heard the expression? Well, that'll teach me a lesson. Um, probably not. <laughs> probably not. You're going to do it again. Sometimes we get too old to learn the lesson. Maybe we don't have enough time to learn the lesson. Anyway, <clears throat> here's the problem with trying to learn the lesson. Proverbs 26, 11, and it's repeated in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, as the dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. It's like when you go back and do it again, it's like a dog going back and eating what he already threw up. That's not very savory, is it? Now, the Holy Spirit knows that we need encouragement in this area because this is a, this is a this is a good area for us to, to improve ourselves in. But the Holy Spirit knows that we need encouragement to manage our lives in that narrow path. The Holy Spirit knew that we'd need not only the instructions, but we'd need some examples. We need to see some people that made those mistakes that we don't have to repeat. And so we have, have those examples given to us in the Old Testament. It, it took about... A thousand years of those, so that piling up, so that we could see what we should not be doing by being overconfident or foolish in our behavior. Second or First Corinthians ten at verse six says, "Now these things were our examples." He's talking back, back about Israel and what they did, the children of Israel. So we, here we have a, a documented record of people who made mistakes. I am glad that nobody's writing down the mistakes I'm making. But 
the Holy Spirit wrote down mistakes they made and set them out for us on a permanent record so we can look back and see those mistakes and profit from them. Okay? Now, 1 Corinthians 10, 6 says, These are our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Then in verse 11 it says, Now all these things happened unto them for examples. They are written for our admonition upon whom the end of the world are come. So we, we get the benefits of their problems and the resolution of those problems, and we get to see their mistakes. And we get to profit by them if we see them. Okay. Foolishness has brought down calamities upon our forefathers, and we could learn by their lack of uh, discrepancy. Let's start out. Let's start out with Esau. You remember who Esau was? Jacob and Esau? Isaac's son. Jacob and Esau were two sons of Isaac. Isaac was the son of Abraham. Think about Abraham just a minute. God said he was going to bless him. What that meant very definitely and very concretely was, I will make you so wealthy you won't be able to keep it all. That's what he said. Abraham was, was obscenely wealthy. Abraham had more than he could ever use or ever think to use or all of his children. God just blessed him so much. On one text it says about Isaac that God, God made his crops produce a hundredfold. Now can you imagine that? A hundred times the seed that they planted. Now, the idea is that Esau... Was going to was going to become a inheritor of all that Abraham had had because Abraham passed it down to Isaac his son because he blessed him. Now that's what the, that's what this, this means. God's going to bless him. He's going to bless him all and everything he did. Everything he did prospered, and that went to Isaac. And everybody around them knew it. By the way, they all knew that God was blessing these men. Because they were faithful to him. So the next blessing should pass on down to Esau, who was the firstborn of the twins, Isaac and Jacob, of Isaac's son, or Jacob and Esau. Now, Esau did not take that into consideration. He did not look at that blessing like he should have, because he was overconfident in what he was doing. Matter of fact, he went out and married a couple of women of the Hittites, just to aggravate his parents. And it did. It aggravated him. But when it come, came down to getting the blessings, Esau had no concept. He, he didn't even consider what his father had done and what had happened with his grandfather and his great-grandfather and on down the line and how God had taken care of them. It didn't even cross his mind. He just figured he was entitled. Passed it down. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Well, it didn't give me. Here's what happened. Esau viewed God and his blessings with apparent disdain. So he made a foolish trade. You know what he did? He got hungry, went out hunting one time, and he came back, and his brother, Jacob, was making a stew. Red pottage. I don't know what was in it. Red. But it looked good. Apparently it looked good to Esau. Esau was hungry. But he didn't have any way to pay Jacob for the food he wanted and so he traded him what did he trade him his birthright what does that mean 
It meant that what his father had because of what God had given him and given his father was going to pass on to his firstborn. How did Esau view that? I'm going to get it anyway. I'm the firstborn. No, you're not going to get it anyway. Matter of fact, he traded his birthright. It says Jacob was was making pottage. And Esau came from the field. This is Genesis 25, verse 29. Esau said to Jacob, feed me with that same red pottage. I'm faint. I'm weak. Therefore was his name called Edom, which means red. Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. Jacob was a little smarter about this thing. He knew that God had blessed his father. And it was a birthright. The blessing would pass down. Sell me your birthright. And Esau said, sure. I'm, a, I'm, I'm so hungry, I'm going to die. You know that Jacob wouldn't let him die. But anyway, what profit does this birthright do to me now? Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he swore unto him. And he sold his birthright unto Jacob. For a mess of pottage. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 16. The writer of Hebrews says. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person. As Esau who for one morsel of meat. Sold his birthright. You know what? That was foolish. Esau was a fool. He was. My goodness. Then there's a couple other fellows a little later on. Another, another example. When Moses and Aaron led the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, they took him out, took him out into the Sinai Peninsula, into the wilderness. And there wasn't anything out there to eat, basically. They took whatever they had with them when they left. They had cattle and so forth, but they didn't, they didn't, have, they didn't have bread. They couldn't, they couldn't uh, take enough wheat with them to make bread and so forth. So God gave them manna. You remember that, don't you? <clears throat> gave them manna on the ground so every day they could, they could get their breakfast, lunch, and supper. Anyway, and when they needed water, God would bring water out of the rock for them. Now, on this occasion, in Numbers chapter 20, verse 2 through 13, it says, There was no water for the congregation. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chided with Moses and said, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord? We need some water. They're, They're thirsty. Why have you brought up this congregation of the Lord under the wilderness that our cattle should die here? And wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us unto this evil place? It's no place for, the, for seed or figs or vines or pomegranates. Neither is there any water. We don't have, anything, we don't have any, any place to plant anything. And we don't have any water for it anyway. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly under the door of the tabernacle congregation, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather you the assembly together, you and Aaron, your brother, and speak unto the rock before their eyes. He said, Go talk to the rock. Didn't sound like that was a good, good plan of attack, does it? Go talk to the rock. Go speak to the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth water. And you shall bring forth of them water out of the rock, so you shall give the congregation their beast drink. Simple enough. I'll make it. I'll make water come out of the rock. Just go. Just go speak to it. Moses took the rock from before the Lord, and as he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, "Hear now, you rebels, 
Must we fetch you water out of the rock? Whoa. Whoa, boys. Two brothers, Moses and Aaron. Hold it. God didn't say you're going to do it. Anyway, Moses lifted up his hand with his rod. He smote the rock twice. Goodness. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron, Because you believe me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. You can't do it. You're not going to go with them. Foolish, foolish, foolish men. Two brothers, foolish. It wasn't you, Moses and Aaron. It was God. You'd say, well, that's... They were fools. Yes, they were. Yes, they were. They were just over-impressed with themselves. It's a wonder God let them them live, but He did. And Moses, of course, is, is a good character for us and a good example of faith, but he just made a mistake here. On another occasion, now that's two examples. On another occasion, David decided, David the king of Israel, decided... Well, I've got so many men and so many people around me, so many warriors, I want to find out how many I have. Why? I want to know how many soldiers I have. How many spearmen I have. How many horsemen I have. I want to see how big my army is. He wanted to see how grand and powerful he had become. Prestige in numbers. How many of us are there? Apparently a lot of them fell in with him on this thing too because they had a big problem. First Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1 through 7, it says, Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. And David said to Job and the rulers of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. I want to know how many of us there are. How impressive are we to the people around us? Job answered, The Lord make his people a hundred times as many more as they are now. But my Lord, the King, are they not all your Lord's servants? Aren't they all your servants? Why, does you, why do you require this thing? Why, why will it be a cause of trespass to Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Job, wherefore Job departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. Job gave the sum of the number of the people unto David, and all they of Israel were of a Hundred were of a thousand thousand and a hundred thousand men that drew sword, and Judah was four hundred three score and ten thousand men that drew the sword. But Levi and Benjamin he didn't count among them, for the Lord's, for the king's word was abominable to Job, and God was displeased with this thing, and he smote Israel. He was displeased. He did a foolish thing, and a lot of people suffered for it, for what he did. One more. That was three. One more. One more example. A fellow by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. King of Babylon. King, he was, he was the emperor of the whole world, as a matter of fact, at that point. He was the mightiest king ever that stepped upon the face of the earth, aside from God himself. And he dreamed of his importance. He had a dream. And he had, a, of course, you remember he had a great big statue built of himself that went up into the heavens made of gold and he wanted everybody to bow down when he, and worship him worship that that image when he played on certain musical instruments but he had a dream Nebuchadnezzar had a dream 
And he made a statement in Daniel chapter 4. He made a statement before all this. He said, Nebuchadnezzar the king unto all people, languages and languages, nations and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God has wrought toward me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. The first thing he did was he said, this all, God did all of this. God did all this. Then he had a dream. Oops. And in his dream, he was more than God himself. That's the problem. In verse 24 and 25, Daniel interpreted his dream. And he says, O king, this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that they shall drive you from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you to eat grass as oxen, they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High dwells in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever he will. He just took him off his throne, put him out to pasture, so to speak. Because he said, I'm the greatest. What a fool this man was. What a fool. That's a good example for it. Uh, can we find ourselves in any of these examples, any of these four? Can we find uh, ourselves somewhere in the example of, I, of Esau? Do we, uh, do we get to the point sometimes that we think that what we have is what we have dug out of this earth with our own two hands? That what we possess is what we deserve because we're, we've pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps and we're, we've become what we are. We have everything around us that we have because we've worked for it. It's ours. If we feel that way, we become a fool, just like Esau had. How about Moses? Do you ever feel like you're, you're doing it all? you ever feel that way? How about you ladies? Do you feel like you're doing it all in the house? Do you feel like you're doing it all for the family? Do you feel like you're doing it all for your neighbors? On the job, you feel like you're doing it all, nobody else doing anything? You're the most important one, the whole thing? Do you feel that way? Can you feel that way? Do you feel like nobody appreciates what I'm doing? So you just quit. Quit doing. Because nobody, nobody gives you the respect that you need for all the things you're doing. Do you feel that way? That's what Moses and Aaron felt. Boy, they just kept gnawing at them. So Moses and Aaron said, Hey, do we have to do this for you again? You see, why should I have to do this when nobody else wants to do it? I'm talking generically because I don't know your situation. I know mine. I get to feeling that way sometimes. And I think, uh-oh, I better back off because God is in control of my life. should be. How about uh, like David? Do I feel like there has to be a big crowd around me before I can believe in Jesus Christ? Before I can stand with Him, before I can take my position with Him? Do I feel like I have to have the crowd to uh, verify my own existence? Am I, am I a believer because other people believe? Or am I a believer because Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And He is my faith. He is my Savior. Do I have to go with the crowd to feel verified? 
to feel substantial. And like Nebuchadnezzar, what have I accomplished in my life? Am I the, am I the one who, uh, around whom the world revolves? That's what Nebuchadnezzar thought. The warning, don't be a fool for the sake of being a fool. If you're going to do foolish things, friend, do foolish things for Jesus. Be a fool for Jesus. You know, that's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 3.18, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seems to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.10, We are fools for Christ's sake. Do you feel foolish when you bring up the name of Jesus in a crowd of people that don't believe in Him? Don't worry about it. Be a fool for Jesus. Do you feel uncomfortable when you bow your head in a public place to give thanks to God for your meal maybe? Or just, just for any reason that you, that you just want to praise God? Do you just want to give Him thanks? you want to pray? Or do you feel like you can't do that? You'll feel uncomfortable? Don't feel uncomfortable. Be a fool for Christ. People may look at you like you're a simpleton. Be a simpleton. Be empty-headed for Jesus. You see what I'm saying? When, when people are talking about things, when people are talking about politics, when people are talking about circumstances, bring up the name of Jesus. You say, oh, I'd feel foolish if I got out my Bible and started showing what the Bible says. Be a fool for Jesus. Be a fool for Him. If you're going to be a fool, be one for Jesus Christ. If you, if you say, I can't go with you, I can't, I can't do what you're going to do, but, but the popular crowd is doing it. And you, don't, you say, well, if I don't go along with them, I'll feel uncomfortable. Feel uncomfortable for Jesus. If you're going to be a fool, be a fool for Jesus Christ. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation. Thank <laughs> you.